theyeshiva.net. Hechel Menachem presents A Tale of Two Souls, an ongoing lecture series on the Tanya by Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak Jacobson. This is the eighth tape in the series entitled Anatomy of the Soul in Jewish Philosophy and Kabbalah, recorded live at Hechel Menachem, Brooklyn, New York. Thank you. In the beginning of uh, Perigbe's chapter 2 of Tanya, the author discusses the fact that beyond the first primal soul that exists within the human being that he uh, terms the Nefesh Bahamis, the animal soul, the Nefesh is the vital soul, there exists in every Jew a soul which is defined as the Nefesh Alokis, the godly, the divine soul. This is the first spark of consciousness beyond that of the zoological species. But in addition to a spark of consciousness, it also possesses an entire array of faculties, attributes, energies, powers, both on an intellectual level, on an emotional level, on a functional level, conscious and subconscious, that create an entire persona, which is therefore called a soul, a complete personality and character. But nevertheless, this is a soul that's beyond, as mentioned, the zoological species, even of a higher form, a higher developed type of animal, an intellectual or emotional animal, it goes beyond that. And this is a soul which is directly connected to its divine essence. As he says in Hebrew, Nefesh Hashemiz bi Yisrael is a chelik aleikami ma'amam, which is truly a part of Hashem above. Hence, in every single Jew there exists a consciousness that can be defined literally as a godly consciousness. It's a consciousness that both is aware and possesses that whole array of faculties as mentioned. But what is the root, what is the essence of this consciousness? A godly consciousness that exists within the human being and in all its modes of expressions and manifestations and revelations and experiences, it's godly. So its wisdom is godly, its emotions are godly, its functions are godly, every aspect of it is godly. And he gives the metaphor of a child, because the Jewish people are defined in the Torah as children of Hashem, Banim Atem Hashem Elokeichem, or Bni B'chayri Yisrael, and says just as a child is rooted and stems from the brain of its father, the same, the souls of the Jews come from the divine wisdom, so to speak. And this is a very powerful metaphor, as discussed uh, last week more at length, the relationship of a child to a father. Chazal tell us, for example, that Adam Chasal Maisi Yadav, a person has empathy, for the deeds of his hands, for something that he created, activated, was involved in, a person cares for it in a very real way, because the human being imbued his energy in it, part of him. So even if it's not anymore part of his property, he does not have possession over it. Nevertheless, since he created it, 
He activated it so a part of himself, a part of his soul, a part of his energy is imbued within it. So if an artist creates a piece of art, even if he sells it, but then he hears that it was lost or destroyed, it perturbs him, it bothers him in a very real sense. Part of himself he imbued in that piece of art. Although it does not belong to him anymore. But nevertheless, even Maiseyadav, even something that a person has created, that a person has done, if it gets lost, okay, <clears throat> the person is upset, might be angered, but as they say in Yiddish, <laughs> you go further, right? <laughs> but then, there is, one, there is that phenomenon, when something occurs, God forbid, to a, fa- to a child, and this devastates a father in the core essence of his being, because it's not only that part of his energy he imbued in his child. The child ultimately comes from him, so it means part of him is in the child. That's true about all my of everything a person creates and does, there is part of him in it, because he expended his energy for it. Over here it's more than this. A child is rooted in the quintessence of the father's soul. So when something occurs to the child, it affects the father in the deepest level of self. It's not only the child comes from a certain part of the body of the father, or even an external projection of energy of the father. The child in, in, its, in its totality stems from maya chav. Maya chav means the brain of the father, and this is not only the physical brain, but the wisdom of the father, and the source of life which is in the wisdom and the brain of the father, and in the essence of the personality of the father. So therefore, even after the child is born, and physically is a separate being, a separate entity, nevertheless, there is an inescapable sense of truth and consciousness that lies in the heart of the father, that this is a part of his deepest self. And therefore, everything that occurs to the child, touches him and affects him in a way that nothing else can affect him. Sometimes even what happens to him will not be as important and crucial and significant as what happens to the child. Because the child is rooted not only in his conscious wisdom, but as explained even on deeper levels, literally the deepest part of self. This is of course discussing a healthy father. Unfortunately today in the present era, there are many unhealthy people. And when the child screams, shouts, Tata, Father, it evokes a responsive chord in the essence of the soul, the soul's harp of the Father's being. So the Alter Rebbe says that Neshame Yisrael Abonim Atem Lashem Alekechem. They are children of Hashem. And the metaphor of a child of here is not only that it, he created us, he sustains us, he directs us, he cares for us. It's the same above mentioned relationship that exists between a child and a father, exists between the neshama of the Jew, between this godly soul of the Jew and Hashem. Why? Because the neshama comes from the divine essence. So when every single Jew 
there exists a consciousness. What is this consciousness? This is part and parcel of the divine reality. And therefore, because of this soul that exists in the Jew, all the aspirations, motivations, instincts, expressions, experiences, emotions, and wisdom, and all the details involved, every single faculty gravitates and is essentially connected to the essence of the Father, which in this case, we're referring to Hashem. And the Alter Rebbe continues and says that when you say the Neshama is rooted in the divine wisdom, it goes even a step deeper than the wisdom of the human being. Because in the human being, there is a distinction that has to be made between the soul of the human being and the cognitive faculty and experience. By Hashem, however, Hu He and His wisdom, His wisdom faculty are one, as He quotes the Rambam, there are three aspects. There is the Mada, Yedeya, and Yadua. Yedeya is he who knows, which refers to the soul of the human being. Mada refers to the cognitive faculty and the cognitive experience. The means of comprehension, perception, conception, etc., and Yadua is the subject which is known. The, the logical idea, mathematical equation, or whatever it may be. In a person, these three, com- these three aspects are distinct components. Regarding Hashem, the Rambam says, Hu Hamada, Vuhu Ayedea, Vuhu Ayedua. They are one. So when you say the Nisham is rooted in Chachmasa Yisbarich, in the wisdom, in the Chachma, in the Mada, so to speak, in the cognitive faculty of Hashem, this is actually linked and bond, and one with his very, with his very self. Because who? Thus we can define the Nefesh Hashem Nizbi Yisrael as being a chilek eleika mimal mamash. Yeah. Regarding the Nefesh Bahamas, if it has this relationship to Hashem. No, of course, everything in the world is created by Hashem. But this is the Mashal Haben Hanimshech Memayachav. When you create a painting, you imbue your energy in that. Forget about a painting. If you fix a lock on your door, there's also part of your wisdom, your energy is in that lock. Whatever you may do. And then there are things that are more significant and more significant and more significant. But the main distinction has to be made between an external projection of oneself and the internal experience of oneself. And therefore, besides giving the metaphor of a child, he also brings another two aspects. He, he, he defines the uniqueness of the Jewish soul, number one, as something that comes, so to speak, from Hashem blowing, and number two, as something that stems from the divine thought. Both of these metaphors convey the fact that the soul is rooted in a very deep and internal realm of the godly essence versus everything else that was created, the universe and all contained within it. Even sublime creatures are rooted and stem from, in Torah terms, from the dibur of Hashem, from the utterance of Hashem, which is more an external projection of His energy. 
And therefore, of course, it's significant, it's important, it has a purpose, it has a godly purpose. But there's this unique, otherworldly, godly experience, which becomes a consciousness. It becomes a nefesh, it becomes a soul in the human being. We, um, we started to learn last week the Haggah, the Haggah, the note in Tanya. We did not manage to conclude it. So now we will conclude the Haggah. Yeah. Yeah. This is a unique aspect found among the jury. Okay, um, I have to... It's a very good question. He's asking, says regarding other Marisha, not regarding the Jew. And uh, since the answer is uh, requires a little elaboration, I have to refer you to last week's class where we discussed it more at length. I believe there are tapes available. Let's learn the Haggah. The note in Perik Beis. This is a note that was written on the side, and you see it's printed in smaller letters, because, indeed, it's not directly connected to the content of the Perik, but nevertheless, it's something that Alter Rebbe feels he has to make mention of, and therefore, it's a note on the side. As we discussed last week, more briefly, this statement of the Rambam, that by Hashem, these three distinct components of Mada, Yedeya, and Yedua are actually one, and bound together was not accepted by all Jewish philosophers and scholars. Most notably the Maharal of Prague, Rabbi Yehuda Leva of Prague from the 16th century, who was a great <coughs> thinker and sage, has many, many svarim, argues with the Rambam and criticizes him, quite, qu- criticizes him quite severely, although not mentioning his name, but it's quite evident from anyone who reads that second introduction to Sefer Gvuris Hashem by the Maharal, who he's referring to. And his main problems with the Rambam are two. Number one, if Hashem's knowledge of everything is derived from his very self, not from something outside of him, as the Rambam says, how does he know all those things that occur in the universe and in reality that don't stem from him? Those things that are created by the act of man. Sometimes negative acts, transgressions, etc. do not stem from him. How does he know that? According to the Rambam, the Rambam wanted to explain that there's total unity in Hashem and there's no change. There's no multiplicity and there's no change. So if there's no multiplicity and there's no change, he says, everything is one in him. So both he the knower and the cognitive experience and what he knows are all one. Because whatever he knows comes from himself. And since the whole world comes from himself, so by knowing him, he knows everything. So the Maral says, what about those things that don't come from himself? Does he lack knowledge of them, awareness of them? That's one problem. A second problem is a deeper one, and that is definition. He says the Rambam is defining Hashem. A definition, he's giving him a definition of a cognitive reality. An intellectual entity. A rational being. If hu amada hu ayedeya meaning what is he? He is one with his cognitive faculty, one with what he is knowing. So he is knowledge. He is seichel, as the Maral puts it. How can you give Hashem such a description, such a definition, when he transcends any type of description, material or spiritual? Although it's a spiritual description. 
He transcends any type of definition or description. He says, Chazal didn't call him Haseichel Baruch Hu. They call him HaKadish Baruch Hu. Kaddish means aloof, separated. Kaddish means, Kaddishim to you, Rashi says, Prushim to you. Separated. HaKadish Baruch Hu means, he's separated from any description or definition. And therefore the morale says, that by no means, can you describe Hashem as being Hua Mada, Hua Yedeva, Hua Yedua, as being one with knowledge. Rather, knowledge is a created entity. Just as the Rambam will never say, Hashem is a stone and the stone is Him. No, the stone was created by Him. So the Maral says, knowledge, will, emotions, love were all created by Him and He employs them. He uses them. But when you say Hashem knows, it's not Hashem in His essence knows. Hashem's essence is beyond knowing. It's undefined in any way. Knowledge is a created phenomenon by him. He employs it, but it's not him. When the Altar quotes here the Rambam, that, So someone reading it questions, he says, that's your root, that the Neshama Zechelech, the Maral, criticizes the Rambam so severely. So therefore he is compelled to write this note. And what does he say? Let's look inside. He says, The Kabbalists have agreed with him, with the Rambam, that Hashem can be described as knower, knowledge, and knowing. As stated in the Sefer, Pardis Rimonim, written by the Ramak, which is an acronym of Rabbi Reb Moshe Kardaviro, a 16th century Kabbalist in Svas, one of the greatest Mekobolim, his most famous Sefer, is this Pardis Rimonim. <coughs> In Pardis Rimonim, he says, not in one place, but two places, conveys this idea of Hu Amada, Hu Ayedeya, Hu Ayedua. Now, the Kabbalists, you cannot suspect with being unaware of the critique of the Maharal, because the Mekobalim have explained and revealed much deeper dimensions in the lack of definition and description that can be applied to Hashem. The Mekobalim went steps deeper and more abstract in explaining the limitless essence of Hashem. So the fact that is not because they were unaware of the greatness and the aloofness that the Maharal attributes to Hashem. Furthermore, in Kabbalah, the limitlessness and, defin- and the lack of definition in Hashem's reality is discussed in greater length and depth than even in the Maharal Svarim. So the Vahidul is not in compromise of the Maharal's critique. But considering the Maharal's statements, nevertheless, And he continues, Even according to the Kabbalah of the Arizal, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria of Blessed Memory, Yitziva Milsa, the Rambam statement stands. And this is of a gam, because the Arizal's Kabbalah went much further and deeper even than the Ramak's Kabbalah. There are major differences between Kabbalah Saramak and Kabbalah Sarizo. In the field of Kabbalah, there is those areas in Kabbalah that Ramak revealed and explored. And Arizal took that and developed it much deeper, you could even say infinitely deeper. In the realities he discussed, the realities he conveyed, the revelations of the most esoteric dimensions of the Torah and the Kabbalah, of the Arizal are far deeper than the Ramak. Nevertheless... The Arizal, even according to the Kabbalah of the Arizal, the statement of the Rambam is valid. However, over here, even according to the, 
Over here, however, there's one issue. And that is, he continues, Beside his lapsus, Eirin Seif Baruchu, Al Yedet Tzimtzumim Rabim, Bekelim Dechachma Binadaz Datzilus. This is only when applied to the mystic principle of the enclothing of the Ein Seif light by means of numerous contractions and concealments in the vessels of the spheres titled Chachma Bina Das, Conception, Comprehension, and Application. The three spheros, the three spheres that represent the divine intellect of the world of Atzillus, the world of emanation. Through a process of self-limitations and contractions called Tzimtzumim, in the language of the Torah, Hashem manifests in Kabbalistic terminology, He clothes Himself, His infinite essence, referred to by the Kabbalists as the Ein Sof, the endless infinite one, He encloses that in what is called the Sviros. The Sviros are His attributes, which in some manner have some type of definition and description. This manifestation occurs first in a world, a reality known as Atzilut, the world of emanation in English, and more specifically in the first three, three spheres of that world, which is Chachma, Bin Adas, Chabad, as he uses the acronym over here, conception, comprehension, and application. Thus, at this level of Atzilus, Hashem can indeed, can indeed be defined as the Rambam defines Him. That He is the knower, He is the knowledge, the means of knowledge, and He is the, what, what, that which is known. But not higher than Atzilus. Above the world of Atzilus, Hashem cannot be defined in any of this, these ways. Accordingly, in light of the Ramak and the Arizal's teachings, the statement of the Rambam is valid only beginning with the realm called Eilam Atzilus. But in the realm beyond Elam Atzilus, then you cannot say, Hu because over there there is no definitions whatsoever, thus no attributes, faculties, no chachman, no bina, no das. Parenthetically, this does not mean, according to the Maharal, that the undefined God does not know. If he's undefined, so he possesses everything. But it means it cannot be defined or described in a specific attribute which can become the source of a defined energy. It's totally in an undefined manner, but it encompasses everything in an undefined manner. So beyond Atsilus, this would not be valid. The Rambam statement, who Ahmad is beginning in the world of Atsilus. In other words, what the Rambam is saying, when there is created this at these attributes of Chachma bin Adas, it's not something separate of Hashem, but it actually becomes one with the ain't self that it's enclosed. So therefore, who As explained elsewhere, The ain't safe, blessed be he, is infinitely exalted over and transcends the essence and level of Chabad of Chachma bin Adas. Ad in fact, the level of Chachma bin Adas is regarded as being equally inferior as material action in relation to him. To that extent, 
Not only does he transcend it infinitely, Chachma bin Adas, but furthermore, it is compared to him as material action. Just like literally physical substance. Totally, is, he's infinitely transcends that, the essence of Hashem. So Chabad, the attributes of Chachma bin Adas, albeit their abstraction and spiritual character and godly character, nevertheless, he totally transcends that and transcends that infinitely. Kumayshikasav, as it is written in Tehillim, Perik of Dalet, David HaMalach says, Kulam Bechachma Sisa. You have made them all with wisdom. We say it every morning in Birches Trishma. You have made them all with wisdom. So one of the explanations in this Pasuk is... Some people ask, wouldn't it be more proper to say you have conceived them all with wisdom? Chachma applies, is a, is a spiritual activity where you conceive, you comprehend, you apply. You made them all with Chachma is a remes. It's not the literal meaning, but it's a remes that's discussed in Kabbalah and Hasidus. The fact that he says you have made them all with Chachma to convey the similarity between Chachma and Asiyah. That Lagabi, the essence of the Ein Saif, Chachma and Asiya are one. Chachma is equally inferior as Asiya. Kufnis as material action and physical substance is. So this is regarding the Ein Saif. When is the statement of the Rambam valid according to Chachmiya Kabbalah? Only after the enclosement and manifestation in the world of Atzillus. Nevertheless, what we have from here is that uh, true, according to the Chachmei Kabbalah, this explanation has to be set and discussed. But nevertheless, on a certain level, this statement of Huva Chachmasa Yechad is very, very true. So when you talk about the Neshama, stemming from Chachmasa Yisbarech, you could say Huva Chachmasa Yechad, because Hu Amada V'Hua Yedeya, and thus the Nefesh Hashem is Yisrael is indeed a Chelek Aleka Mimal Mamish. Yeah. What is the application of the last three words, Kulam B'chachma Asisa? The, the Pasuk is in an allegorical manner trying to convey the fact that Chachma and Asiya are equal by Hashem. Kulam B'chachma Asisa, you have made everything with Chachma. Of course, literally it means you created everything through your wisdom. On a deeper level, it's trying to signify that Asiya and Chachma are alike, equally inferior in comparison with the essence of the divine reality. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The first question it was, if the Nefesh Bahamas could be refined, so why can't you say that also comes from Hashem, right? As the Nefesh kiss. Okay, very good. Why can't you say the Nefesh Bahamas? Yeah. Yeah, of course, the Nefesh Bahamas can be refined, elevated, enlightened, etc., as mentioned, the klipa of the Nefesh Bahamas is defined klipa snaiga, which means the translucent klipa that allows a ray of holiness and light to enter it and elevate it and refine it. But nevertheless, it was created and we call it klipa because it's a created reality. It begins in the realm of creation. Of course, creation comes from Hashem's energy, no question about it. But nevertheless, it's part of that whole creation which is defined as coming from the dibur of Hashem. 
And furthermore, in a very concealed, the dibur is very concealed and obscured to the extent that it can create an entity which is self-contained, self-oriented, and perceives itself as the center and focus of everything. Nevertheless, since it's klipas naiga, it's a translucent shell, so therefore it's a husk that can be penetrated, that can be breached, that you can get a message across. The nefesh of the kiss is totally of another nature. You're dealing with a consciousness that is godly, from its glimmer of consciousness to all its manifestations. Who the nefesh Bahamas, you mean? Of course, not... You asked your second question was, if we're anyway talking about symptoms, why can the Maral agree? Yeah, the Chachmei HaKabbalah are reconciling, in essence, between the Rambam and the Maral. That's the whole idea. They're discussing that the Rambam and the Maral are not arguing, in essence. They're discussing two realms of experience. In his realm, the Maral is totally correct. And in his realm, the Rambam is correct. Why wasn't the Maral perturbed by Chazal, Vuhura, Chum, etc. Why only on the Rambam statement and why can't Alter Rebbe answer that how the Gemara says Okay. Uh, the answer on question number one is the Maharal discusses the Vuhuracham. The Maharal discusses the Vuhuracham means Hashem creates empathy and compassion. It's a created phenomenon. The Rambam comes along and says Hu The Mada is one with the Yedeya. So it's not a created entity knowledge. That is who he is. That's answer number one. Why the Alter Rebbe doesn't answer that is very simple. The same reason. The Rambam is not saying that Hashem has knowledge. The Rambam says Hashem's knowledge is totally beyond our knowledge. But the knowledge of Hashem is one with Him. So it's a very serious issue you're talking about. Yeah, the Rambam says we don't understand how Hashem's knowledge is one with Him, that's very important. We have no comprehension of the unity between Hashem's essence and His cognitive cognitive faculty and experience and what He knows. But nevertheless, that's what He's talking about. So it's not Dibratayra Kalashim B'nai Adam. Regarding, for example, when you speak about the eyes of Hashem, the hand of Hashem over there, the Rambam also says, it's only Dibratayra Kalashim B'nai Adam, it's a metaphor. But regarding Yediyah, the Rambam says the Rambam possesses a faculty of Yediyah in a very real way. Totally beyond ours, but nevertheless, some type of, some level of idea. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want? I should repeat it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Was the Maharal a Makubal? And if the Maharal was a Makubal, why didn't he himself make this uh, reconciliation between his Shita and the Rambam Shita? Okay, generally speaking, the Maharal is considered to be one of the great Makubal, one of the great Kabbalists, although... It should be emphasized that his terminology, as well as his structure, is drastically different than the majority of most other, most other Makabalim, especially when we compare the Svarim of the Maharal to the Makabalim of his generation. So the terminology is very, very different. 
but the Maharal is generally considered one of the Mekabalim. Nevertheless, the Maharal to the Mahar, the Maharal did not receive the tradition, the Kabbalistic tradition that was transmitted and that was revealed to the Ramak, to Rabbi Meishe Kadaviro, or and, and certainly not the Kabbalistic tradition that was transmitted or revealed to the Arizal. Yeah? The Maharal, the Maharal was born, according to most opinions, in the 16th century, I believe in the year 1512. He passed away in the year 1609. The Maharal lived, according to this, 97 years. He passed away on Chayelo. 1609, he lived to be 97 years. Shin Samachtes. Shin Samachtes would be 609. The Ramak and the Ariza lived in the same century as mentioned. The Ramak passed away in the year 1570 at the age of 45. The Arizal passed away two years later, in 1572, at the young age of 38. It's interesting, it would be even more interesting to note that in the Maharal Sefer Derech Chaim on Pirkeyavis, the Maharal is a Sefer Derech Chaim, in the fifth chapter of Pirkeyavis, he explains and he reiterates that same point that he discusses at length in Gvuras Hashem mentioned earlier about the fact that we cannot attribute any uh, character traits to Hashem. And he adds that he heard, he says, I heard that there was a man living in Poland, and when he read my words in Gvuris Hashem in the second introduction, he opened his mouth against me, saying that what my statements in Gvuris Hashem are not consistent with the Jewish faith, they're not consistent with Amunah, and the Maral says, here is Shalai, he made a shturim about me. That I said things that are inconsistent with Yiddishkeit by the fact, as a result of my say, what's not what's not consistent with Amuna that I said that the idea is not the atmos of Hashem, that Hashem's knowledge is not his essence. And the Maral continues, why didn't he attack the Zayar? Why didn't he attack all the Svarim and of Kabbalah, all the important Kabbalistic works? Why is he attacking me? And he he enumerates the various Svarim of Kabbalah, Avedis HaKadosh from Rabbi Meir ben Gabbai. Ma'arechas halakos of Rabbeinu Peretz. Which from all, all these svarim we see that the spheres, as he puts it, the Kabbalistic, the spheres, the character traits of Hashem, so to speak, are not by any means to be associated with his essence. Who is the Maral talking about? The Maral talks about a Jew in Poland. Some people want to say that he's referring to the Ramar, Reb Moshe Iserlis, who le- lived in that time. He is the one, of course, who authored all the Haggas on the Shulchan Aruch, and Rabbi Yisuf Karaz Shulchan Aruch, who also lived in that century. Ramal lived in Poland and Krakow, and in a Sefer, Teres HaOila, as well as in other works, he generally tries to synthesize Kabbalah and philosophy. So therefore, they suspected that the Maharal meant him, because since he tries to synthesize Kabbalah and philosophy, he also tries to demonstrate that the philosophical doctrines, which the Rambam, articulated are consistent with tr- the truth of Kabbalah. But that claim is an error, it's a toast, because anyone who reads the continuation of Derech there, he sees that the Maharal mentions one of the writings of this person of Poland who he criticizes, and it's obvious that his intention was to a man named Rebbe Eliezer Ashkenazi. Rebbe Eliezer Ashkenazi authored a sefer, Maase Hashem, he lived in Egypt, and in his old age, he lived in, in his older years, he moved to Poland. And it's obvious the Maharal is referring to him. 
Okay, but in any case, let's continue presently. An interesting question was raised last week after the Shear in connection with the Pasuk that Al-Tarebbe quotes in the beginning of the Perik mentioned earlier, Bereshis Perik based Pasuk Zion, Vayitzer Hashem Alekim, as Ha'adam Afram in Ha'adama, Vayipach Ba'apav Nishmas Chayim, Vayihi Ha'adam L'Nafash Chayim. That according to the Al-Tarebbe's interpretation that Vayipach Ba'apav Nishmas Chayim is referring to the Nafash Halikis which is in man, where does this Pasuk make reference, where, where, where do we have the Nafash Bahamas mentioned in this Pasuk and in the story of man's creation in the Torah? In other words, literally this person asked, the interpretation of this Pasuk is as follows. The Pasuk describes the creation of the human body. Hashem formed man, dust from the earth, Afram in Adama. And then the Torah continues to describe the soul which Hashem imbued in the body to animate it and to give it vitality. And as a result of that, the human being became a living creature. But according to the Alter Rebbe, we cannot interpret the Pasuk that way. Because according to him, this Pasuk is only referring to the Nefesh HaLikis. Because Hashem blew in to his nostrils. A breath, a soul of life is referring to the divine soul as he explained earlier in the beginning of the chapter. And it's not referring to the vital soul, to the corporal soul which gives vitality and animation to the body. So this is a very good point. And the truth is that similar to this question, we find in the Mefarsh, in the commentaries on this passage concerning another issue. And since this is a very interesting and very fundamental idea connected, to the discussions in Jewish literature about the human structure and the human soul, I want to elaborate it. I want to elaborate on this for for a few moments. It's known that among the medieval Jewish philosophers, there was a major argument concerning the general anatomy of the human soul. The great philosophers in Spanish Jewry, most notably. Reb Shloime Ibn Gabirul and Reb Avraham Ben Ezra the Aven Ezra, both of them living in the 11th century, they claim that every human being possesses three souls. What they call as the Nefesh HaTzimachas, the Nefesh HaBahamis, and the Nefesh HaSichlis. The vegetative soul, the animal soul, and the intellectual soul. The first soul the human being possesses, according to their opinion, is a ve- vegetative soul. This is a vitality which he shares with all of the produce and vegetation that comes from the earth. This is the soul that allows the human being to grow, to grow from small to big, just as a tree, as a plant, as a flower, anything in the botanic kingdom grows and has a certain energy and vitality that allows it to be produced and to grow. The second soul in man is the animal soul. This is the soul in man which he shares with all other animals with all other living creatures in the zoological race. From this soul stem his vitality, his physical energy that animates him. The energy that animates an animal and also animates a human being. From this stems the energy, the power of perception, all of the instinctive faculties, all of the cravings, lusts, and impulses of man, his natural dispositions and instincts stem from this soul. And finally, there's a third soul, which is the rational soul. This is the soul which is unique 
It's exclusively the domain of the human being. It's unique to the human race, which allows him to comprehend, to understand intellectual truths, concepts, and ideas, and so forth. The Evan Ezra articulates this doctrine of his in, var- in several places, most notably in his Pirush on Kaihelis. In Kaihelis, Perik Zion, on the Pasuk, Toiv Kaas Mishaik, Shleim HaMelech says, anger is better than laughter. The Evan Ezra discusses this point, and he explains according to this several contradictions in Sefer Kaihelis concerning various attributes of the human being, because he says these psukim are talking about three distinct categories in people which operate differently, each one operating on one level of soul. So there's a person who's in touch with the rational soul, another one with the animal soul, another one with the vegetative soul, and so forth. This opinion is also held by Reb Shloim Ibn Gabiru. Reb Shloim Ibn Gabiru was one of the greatest Jewish philosophers and poets of his time. And in his highest form in this soul is, of course, the intellectual dimension. Intellectual dimension. The Rambam discusses in many places this being is the uniqueness of man, not only having the vegetative soul, the vital animal soul, but also on... Uh, a cognitive experience and faculty which allows him to soar beyond physical experience and to understand, to comprehend. What is the difference if you say three souls or one soul? It's not stam semantics over here. There's a major difference that has extremely deep application, uh, applications in one's life. And that is as follows. Briefly, three souls means there are three levels of consciousness that are separate. One is the intellectual capacity. But another one is the vegetative capacity. So that's, that's, that's the technical capacity. But more importantly is the one in the middle, which is the vital capacity, the vital soul, which includes vitality, feeling, emotions, impulses, desires. If you say there are three souls, it means... That the intellectual soul does not have any interest in the impulses or does not experience in any way the impulses and desires, emotions, instincts of existence. That comes from another soul. The intellectual soul is totally... And in his philosophical work, Mekir Chaim and Perikei, he also... Uh, discusses this sheet. It's interesting, today the Sefer Makir Chaim is almost absolutely unknown. But in the past, in the medieval times, it enjoyed very, it it was extremely popular, it enjoyed great popularity. This is the Shitta of the Avanes and the Pshleim Ibn Gabir. Kumtz again the Rambam. And in the beginning of the Shmaina Prakim of the Rambam, Shmaina Prakim includes eight chapters which the Rambam wrote as an introduction to Pirkei Avos. Immediately in the beginning of chapter one of Shmaina Prakim says the Rambam, Da! You should know, says the Rambam, that the nefesh of man is one. There are no three souls. There is one soul which consists of many functions. And as a result of the various functions of the soul, some people consider these functions to actually be independent souls, and some people think that a person has many souls. 
And he enumerates the three souls, the tivis, the chiyunis, and the nafshis, as he puts it. Which are the three above-mentioned categories, the natural soul, the vital soul, and the nafshis, the soul dimension of the consciousness, which correspond to the vegetative, which is the natural soul, the animal, which is the vital soul, the corporal energy that sustains the body, which a vegetation doesn't have a soul in that sense. And finally, the rational soul, which he calls the nafshis. So the Rambam tells us there's really one soul which has three koiches, three faculties. It consists of three primary functions. The koich hatzimeyach, the vegetative power, the koich hamisava, the power of lust, of impulses, and the koich hasichli, the cognitive intellectual power. By the way, you should not think that this is just an argument concerning semantics. One soul, three souls, what's the difference? What's the difference? Rather, this is a very important, this is a very important dispute, which is dealing not just with words and phraseology, but with a, there's a philosophical difference in content between them. If we say that these three faculties, the Kayacham, the Kayachatzemeyach, the Kayachamisava and the Kayachasichli, are three souls, essentially what we are to conclude is that you're dealing with three distinct worlds that are separated one from the other with an absolute gap and schism. Therefore, the assertion of one of the souls by necessity must come at the expense of the abnegation and nullification of the other souls. Only by subduing the other two souls can the third soul function and be asserted in a healthy and productive manner. Because since these are three distinct souls, they're distinct worlds, each soul has its own identity, totally not interested and with no relationship to any other of the souls. So the assertion, for example, of the rational soul could only come at the expense of subduing the animal and the vegetative soul, or primarily the animal soul. The Rambam, however, the great believer in the unity of the human reality, the great believer in absolute, the great propagator and proponent who demanded and desired the absolute balance and harmony in a person's life, the Rambam says that we're dealing with one soul. That very soul, which is the Nefesh HaMaskelis, is the rational intellectual soul, that soul is also the animal and the vegetative soul. And therefore, ultimately, according to the Rambam, through proper training, toil and work, a life, which is an expression of the rational soul, ultimately must not negate and eliminate and eradicate the other dimensions of life. And this, of course, has many implications in life and in the philosophy of the human existence from the perspective of the Avanazir, but that's beyond beyond the parameters of our present class. Derech Agav, parenthetically. Among the medieval Jewish philosophers is also another shita. And according to that shita, the division of the soul into three dimensions is done in another way. This is the sheet of Reb Sa'ad Yagon. Reb Sa'ad Yagon of the 10th century in his philosophical works, work, one of the first works on Jewish philosophy called Emunais Vedeis. In Emunais Vedeis, Maimur Vav Peter Gimel, Rasag Reb Sa'ad Yagon says that the Nefesh has three parts to it. Seichel, Kaas, and Taiva. Intellect, anger, and desire, which according to him 
are general parts that include the entire spectrum of the human experience as he discusses there at length. And Rapsadigan emphasizes that there were many who erred and considered this to be three souls because they could not conceive of the fact that one soul should have such various dispositions. But the truth is, he says, you're dealing with one soul which has three faculties, three kaiches. The Ramban, Reb Moshe ben as well as Rabbeinu Bechaye, in their commentary on Chumash, on this Pasuk, they bring this argument in the name of Chachmei HaMechker, in the name of the philosophers. They discuss this in great length, and they bring proofs to both sides, to both shittas. Both to the shita that there are three souls, and to the shita that there's one soul. It's a little bit mashma from them. It seems somewhat, although not obvious, although, although it's, you cannot say this obviously, that they gravitate towards the shita of the Rambam that there is one soul. In their commentary on this Pasuk in Chumash, they write that apparently this Pasuk in Bereshis, demonstrates and can be brought as a proof to the shita of the Rambam that the soul is one. Because then, according to this opinion, we understand very well the Pasuk. In the beginning of the Pasuk, he is addressing the body of the human being, which Hashem formed from dust. Afterwards, Hashem blew into the body a neshama. This neshama is the unique soul that is exclusively the lot of the human race, the nefesh asichlis, as Ramban explains earlier, I mentioned this last week, that the neficha, which comes from the very soul of the blower, indicates the highest level in human souls, which is the nefesh asichlis. And this nefesh includes various parts. And then the Pasuk concludes, as a result of the the human being became a living creature, because by the person, the Nefesh HaMaskelis, and the Nefesh HaBahamis, and the Nefesh HaTzimachas are all one. Hence, only after Hashem blowing into his nostrils the Nefesh HaSichlis, did man become alive even physically. In other words, even his physical life came as a result of the Nefesh HaSichlis, because his Nefesh HaBahamis and Nefesh HaTzimachas, which give him corporal existence, are all part and parcel of the Nefesh HaSichlis. But according to the Shittah, that there are three souls. So a human being became a Nefesh Chai even without a Nefesh HaMaskelis. Even by possessing the first two souls, the Nefesh HaTzimachas and the Nefesh HaBahamis, he became alive just like an animal is alive. And these Nefeshes are totally not mentioned in this Pasuk. And it seems, upon reflection, it seems that the problem the Ramban and the Bechai are raising is a double problem. A, first of all, why doesn't the Pasuk mention these two souls? The Pasuk totally ignores the two primal souls giving us life and sustenance. And secondly, most importantly... How can you say that after Vayipach Ba'apov Nishmas Chayim, Vayihiyah Adam L'Nefesh Chayah, even before Vayipach Ba'apov Nishmas Chayim, he was a Nefesh Chayah? Because the Nefesh HaMaskelas is an independent, distinct soul, independent from the other two souls. So man became a living creature even prior and before having the unique intellectual, rational soul which distinguishes him from all other animals existing on the face of the earth. So the Ramban explains in his commentary on Teirah, that according to this sheet, we could say that the term Vayitzer, Vayitzer Hashem Alekim Adam Afer Min also refers to a soul. Literally, we say Vayitzer means he formed man dust from the earth. It's referring to the body. 
The Rambam says it's possible. The Ramban says, I'm sorry. The Ramban says that according to the Shita, it's possible to interpret Vayitzer as referring to the Tzura, to the Nafshi is the Ketzura, to the spiritual form, not the physical form, the spiritual, psychological, and internal form and identity which man, which Hashem imbued in the body that came from dust. In the Afram in Adama, He imbued man with a Tzura. With a nefesh. And this is referring to the first two souls, to the first two spiritual energies, the Tzaymachas and the Bahamas. And then the Pasuk adds, Vayipach ba'ap of Nishmas Chayim, which is referring to the third soul, the nefesh hasichlis. And then the Pasuk concludes that as a result of all these three souls together, Vayihi ha'adam l'nefesh Chayim, man became a living creature, after not only the nefesh hasichlis, after referring to also the nefesh hasichlis and Bahamas, after all this, he became a living creature, consisting of all of the qualities that characterize the human race, those qualities it shares with the vegetative, with the botanic kingdom and the animal kingdom, as well as the qualities that are unique to the human race, to the human, uh, to the human beings in this world. In the writings of the Tzamach Tzedek, the grandson of the Alter Rebbe on Tanya, on the second chapter of Tanya, these writings were printed in a sefer of the Tzamach Tzedek called Kitsurim Vaharis Lutanya. He discusses this argument which was quoted in Rabbeinu Bechaya. And he points out that this nefesh, this soul which according to the Rambam is one soul and according to the Rav Nezra and Rav Ibn Gabiru, are three souls. This is the nefesh ha-Bahamis, which the Al-Tarebbe is discussing in Tanya. The animal, the primal animal, biological creature, which the Al-Tarebbe discusses in Tanya. The nefesh ha-Likis, however, which is discussed in Tanya, and which the source for this nefesh is in which literature? It's not in the literature of Jewish philosophy, but in the literature of Kabbalah. Specifically in the writings of Reb Chaim Vital, the great student and exponent and transcriber of Luriana Kabbalah, of the Kabbalah of his Rebbe, Rabbi Tzakluya the Ariza. Specifically in the Svarim Shari, Gdushan Eitz Chaim, this is totally another type of soul with other dimensions. As the Alter Rebbe mentioned in Shpair Galif, Acha Inyin. That every Jew has stain of fortress, and he quotes the Rachav Reb Chaim. We talk about Shikasov Rachav Zal B'Shar Hakdusho Beitzchayim Shar Nun Perik Beis. As I mentioned when we learned it, Shar Shar Hakdusho is a sefer from the Rachav, and in Shar Aleph he discusses these two nefoshes as well as in Eitzchayim. What is the explanation in this? What is the difference between these two nefoshes? So, as explained in various Hasidic discourses, the explanation is as follows: Even the nefesh ha-sichlis, which the Rambam discusses, the Avanezdor, the Pshleim Ibn Gabiru, the Psadigon discuss, is not synonymous as the nefesh alikis. Because ultimately we're dealing with the human intellect, we're dealing with seichel anushi, with human rationale, with the human cognitive faculties. And human, the human intellect is defined by the fact that it is a product of creation. It's something that Hashem created. It's a product of Bria, and it's never to be confused with Baidi, with the Creator. It's a product of creation, and in creation itself, it's something in which the divine energy is concealed. So first and foremost, Hashem created it. It's not part of His identity, so to speak, of His essence. 
It's something which comes from his dibur, from his external energy, and he, so to speak, created something else. And in that itself, what type of creation it is? Is it? It's a creation where you do not immediately sense the presence of the divine source of the divine energy embedded in the creation of the intellect. Seichel intellect is ultimately characterized by the I. There, it has a self-contained autonomous identity, independent from the all-pervading, all-embracing reality of Hashem. True. This is not a subjective, egotistical, biased eye. Seichel's self-contained identity and ego is an eye which allows the human being to reach and discern truth. But it's not the ultimate reality. Since it is cognitive, since it is discriminative, since real Seichel is objective, it seeks the truth, so one can use it as an instrument to reach the truth. And here begins the primary quality and superiority of the human being versus the animal, as discussed at length in Jewish philosophy, that it is only the human being which has the ability to search and to find the truth which transcends his immediate needs, versus an animal which is defined by its instincts and its gratifications and its needs to preserve itself. But nevertheless, it's still not Amos. Seichel is still part and parcel of the human experience. True, it's the objective part of the human experience. It's the developed and sophisticated dimension of the human experience. But it's part of the human condition. The nefesh kiss, the divine soul, in stark contrast to that, is the divine experience in man. It's not part of the human condition. It's part of the divine condition embedded in the human, in the Jewish structure, so to speak. The nefesh is the first glimmer of consciousness that transcends the eye. It's the first glimmer of consciousness which allows the human being to experience the divine reality. It gives man the ability to go beyond himself, to transcend himself, to identify with something that is beyond his own self-contained reality. It is here and only here in the nefesh of the human being where a new dimension is introduced into his life. Transcendence. The Nefesh kiss is a divine reality. It's part of the projection of the godly dimension. It doesn't begin with creation. It begins with the creator. As discussed in last week's class as well. So Seichel, the human intellect, can grasp concepts connected with godliness. But it's only the Nefesh kiss which allows the human being to experience godliness. True. As Dalter Rebbe will discuss later in chapter 9, what is the primary abode for the Nefesh is the mind. The Mayach is the primary home where the Nefesh dwells, but it's nevertheless not identical with human mind. Through the mind, as we will discuss there at length, a person can tune into his divine soul. Because since the mind is objective, in its true sense, a mind is objective, it's not subjective, it can lead the person towards his divine soul. The nefesh has the, the rationale in the human being, his intellectual mind, can show him where the door is. But to pass through the door, you must have the nefesh alikis. Till the door, the seichel can lead you. To go into it. There is only the Nefesh The experience of the divine comes through the Nefesh 
But since the seichel is the instrument through which one can make contact with the divine identity in him, therefore they are very close. And they're so close to the extent that sometimes, and we are not to get confused with this, but sometimes the nefesh kiss is defined as the nefesh as the rational soul. In Tanya Peri Gimel, in the third chapter, next chapter, the Alter Rebbe Ident- calls the nefesh alakis once, he terms it nefesh amaskelos, the rational soul, because there's a very intense, powerful connection between them, because it's the seichel that allows the nefesh alakis to be revealed. And that's why the nefesh alakis dwells in the mind. The Maral, for example, talks about the nefesh asichlis as the deepest soul in the human being. He talks about it as the divine element in man, as the element of tsura, which is beyond chaymer, and so forth. But nevertheless, upon Deeper scrutiny, it's not identical. And in the final analysis of things, in the final analysis, from the real perspective, which Chassidus discusses at length, the, the seichel is ultimately closer, the nefesh asichlis, the rational dimension, is ultimately, in the ultimate, in the ultimate analysis, it's closer to the nefesh atzaymachas, to the vegetative soul, to the Bahamas, to the animal soul, closer than to the nefesh alakis. Because between the rational soul and the vegetative soul, there is ultimately a relative difference. There is a finite gap between them. A very powerful gap. You can't compare the energy of the mind to the energy in a flower. But ultimately it's a finite gap. It's a gap existing within the realm of creation. These are gaps that are limited because they are both defined by creation and creation inherently is limited. A mind is limited and a flower is limited. Yes, their parameters are drastically different, but it's all in the realm of limitation. On the other hand, the difference between the rational soul and the divine soul is infinite. The schism between them is an absolute one, it's an unequivocal one, because it's the gap between creator and creation. The gap between creator and creation is an infinite, absolute one. Therefore, Tzemach Tzedek points out that when we speak in general terms, the three nefashas, which Reb Shleim Ibn Gabiril discusses, or the one soul that the Rambam discusses, are ultimately the nefesh abahamis of the Tanya. When we speak generally, the nefesh asichlis is part of the nefesh abahamis reality. They are considered to be one soul, as the Rambam says. Da ki nefesh adamachasi. Not because the seichel is subjective, not because seichel is inferior, because it's worthless. By no means. But because ultimately seichel is defined by identity. By human identity. It's part of the human condition. Seichel does not sense and experience the truth that Einoid Mulvade, there is him and there's none else beside him. Through seichel we might understand that Einoid Mulvade. But it's not experienced in Seichel. Seichel is a self-contained reality and therefore it's from the realm of Klippa in the Tanya terminology. It comes from the shell realities that conceal and obscure the truth of our divinity. So when the Mishnah comes along in Pekiyavus and tells us in Peri Gimel Mishnah Yedalit, Chaviv Adam Shenivre Betzelem Adam, the human being is cherished because he was created in the image of Hashem. The Jewish people are beloved, they're cherished because they're defined as the children of Hashem, as the Pasuk says, you're children of Hashem. We're dealing with these two elements. As the Mepharshim explained, Chavav Adam Shenivra B'Tzalem is dealing with the Seichel, with the unique 
intellectual quality that was given to the human being. This is what characterizes and distinguishes the human race from all other living creatures, and this is what makes every human being, Jew and non-Jew alike, someone who is Divra B'Tselem Alekim, someone who was created in the image of Hashem. He has the ability to soar beyond his immediate needs and to discern truth in life. This is the power of Seichel that every human being possesses. Then the Mishnah continues. This is the unique dimension which the divine soul introduces into the life of the Jew. The divine soul which makes us children. As Dalte Rebbe says here, the unique relationship that a child has to its father, that is the relationship that the divine soul has to HaKadosh Baruch Hu Now, generally speaking, in the Rishonim, among the medieval Jewish philosophers, explicit, explicit and lucid, elaborate mention of the Nefesh Alekis is not made. They were usually discussing other levels of the human consciousness. Primarily, they were discussing the vegetative consciousness, the animal consciousness, and most importantly, the cognitive intellectual consciousness. They did indicate the factor of the Nefesh Alekis, the factor of Neshama. They do make mention of it sometimes in a very obscure and hidden manner. The Rambam, for example, in his Hilchus Geirish, in the conclusion of chapter 2, does discuss an inherent consciousness existing in the Jew, which as a result of that he has a desire to do mitzvahs. We will discuss this Rambam later in chapter 4, where Alter Rebbe discusses the relationship between the divine soul and Torah and mitzvahs. And there are other sources, other references, but nevertheless, it's extremely obscure, it's extremely hidden, it's extremely seldom. The main emphasis is on the Nefesh HaSichlis. In the Svarim that are connected to Kabbalah, to Pnimiyas HaTayra, in all its manifestations, and this includes even the Ramban, for example. The Ramban was a major Mekubal, and in his Svarim and in his spirit of Tayra, he already has included ideas of Kabbalah. In Svarim that are connected with Kabbalah, Pnimiyas HaTayra, they began delving into this issue of the divine element in man in a much more revealed and elaborate manner. And because there are different parts of the Torah, as mentioned in class number 5, there are different dimensions of the Torah which address various levels of the human phenomenon, of the human existence. It's different levels, discuss different issues and emphasize different issues. In Kabbalah, the, the issue of transcendence, of total spiritual transcendence in the human dimension was introduced in a very powerful way, and specifically and especially in Chassidus. In Hasidism, this concept of the Nefesh Alekis reached its ultimate crystallization, especially in the writings of the Alter Rebbe, beginning with his uh, foundational magnum opus, the Tanya. So what do we have from this? What we have from this is as follows. The, in, in summation, according to the opinion in Jewish philosophy that there are three souls, ultimately in the final analysis of things, we're dealing with four souls in the Jew. The Nefesh HaLekis, the Nefesh HaSichlis, the Nefesh HaBahamis, and the Nefesh HaTzimachos. According to the Shita that the three souls are one, we ultimately have two souls in the Jews' consciousness, the Nefesh HaLekis and the Nefesh HaBahamis, and that is the method that Alter Rebbe employed and articulated in the Tanya. That every Jew has Shtein of on one hand stands the Nefesh HaBahamis, which includes all the three souls of the Rambam, and on the other, on the other side stands the Nefesh HaLekis. And this explains also a very important general and fundamental question that many of you presented after the last few classes. And that is, who decides between these two souls? We talk about 
as we did in the last few weeks when we started learning the Tanya, the two souls in the Jew. The biological creature and the transcendental creature. The selfish soul and the selfless soul, the animal soul and the divine soul, and so forth. And the perpetual struggle and conflict that exists in our life as a result of the identity, of the, of the identities, of the aspirations, of the instincts, of the philosophies, of the perspective of these two souls. Who decides? I have an Ephesholikis, I have an Ephesholikis. You have an Ephesholikis, you have an Ephesholikis. Your Nefesh Alakis wants you to behave at this moment in a certain way. Your Nefesh Bahamas wants you to behave in another way. Who decides? So the Alter Rebbe, later in chapter 12, apparently attributes this power to the mind, to the Mayach. The mind, Alter Rebbe tells us, ultimately has the potential to be objective. And to listen to the opinions and to the voices of both souls, and to make a decision. And it's this decision that finds expression in man's behavioral life. Which means, a person has an animal soul. He has an egotistical soul. He has his own personal egotistical identity, biological identity, animal identity. This is an identity which includes instincts, it includes feelings, it includes passions, it even includes the intellect. The Nefesh Bahamas has a full array of ten faculties, just as the Nefesh has, as he will discuss in chapters 3 and chapter 6. The Nefesh its identity is not defined by the ego, its identity is defined by truth. It seeks God, it seeks truth, it seeks spirituality, it seeks, excuse me, it seeks Emes, and it has its set of attributes, of personality faculties, it has its emotions, its instincts, its passions, and its mind. True, we will see in the animal soul, the primary feature is, the primary, the, her primary personality features are her emotions. In the divine soul, her primary personality features are her, her intellectual qualities. But that's a separate issue. The mind of the human being, beyond these two souls, beyond the Nefesh is with its set of personality features, beyond the Nefesh Bahamas, beyond, besides the Nefesh Bahamas, with its set of personality features, your Seichel. And the seichel, the mind, has the ability and is the one who decides which soul should fill the human identity. Should the nefesh of Bahamas pervade my identity? Should it pervade my body, the limbs of my body? Should it pervade my structure, my cognitive structure, my emotional structure? Shall it, perv- shall it, shall it pervade my behavioral life? Or it should be the nefesh alakis? And now to Rebbe will explain that a person always has the potential to access his mind and to utilize it. The seichel ultimately remains free. It remains a liberated reality that can listen to both souls and has the power to make an objective decision. Besides, in certain cases, in chapter 17, the Alter Rebbe discusses certain tragic cases where the human being's mind becomes so fried, unfortunately, as a result of uninhibited self-indulgence, as we know very often from our daily experiences and observations, where the human being's mind becomes so fried that it doesn't have the ability to make objective decisions anymore. But those are unique cases. Generally speaking, the mind remains objective. The Hashem, Hashem al says, imbued in the human being the power that as a result of his faculty of his mind, he will always be able to reach truth. In other words, his mind and his brain give him the ability always to judge, to discriminate, to analyze, to define, to question 
question and to try to discern what is the truth. He can listen to the perspective of the animal soul, listen to the perspective of the divine soul, and decide. And therefore, the person should never say, I don't have a mind, my mind is enslaved, my mind is nullified, is abnegated. No. The nefesh ha-sikhlis remains in its purity and it never becomes corrupted. And she is the one who has to decide between these two souls. And in Chassidus, sometimes we call this mind power, we term it as an independent soul. Chassidus sometimes talks about the nefesh ha-lekis, the nefesh ha-bahamis, and the nefesh ha-sikhlis. The himself, on the Kutatayra Parshas B'chukaysa, the has a sefer on Kutatayra and Chumash, and in the discourses on Parshas B'chukaysa, he mentions these three souls, nefesh ha-lekis, nefesh ha-bahamis, and nefesh ha-sikhlis. Which means, in other words, they take the one soul from the Rambam, and they divide it into two souls rather than into three. Instead of dividing it into three, Nefesh HaSichlis, Bahamas, and Seymachas, they take the one soul of the Rambam and they divide it into two, a Nefesh HaBahamas and a Nefesh HaSichlis. But in Tanya, he only talks about two souls. In Tanya, he does not attribute to the Seichel dynamic in man the quality of an independent soul. He talks about Seichel in generally. He talks about the mind being a crucial, integral weapon through which the human being always has the ability to assert his nefesh alikis and not to fall prey to his nefesh Bahamas. But as a soul identity, that in Tanya he attributes to two distinct, pers- two distinct identities, the godly identity and the Bahamistic identity defined as the nefesh alikis and the nefesh Bahamas. Now, as a result, after all of this, perhaps we can say, I'm not sure about this, I'm just suggesting it. Concerning the question about the Vayipach Bapa of Nishmas Just as the Ramban explains that Pasuk, according to the opinion of the Jewish philosophers that are three souls, we can explain the Pasuk similarly according to the Alter Rebbe's Shita and Tanya. In other words, we can say that the Vayitzer, Vayitzer Hashem Alekim Asadam Afer Adama refers to the first soul, to the Tzura, to the first soul in Tanya, the Nefesh HaBahamis, which as the Tzamech Tzedek mentions, that Nefesh HaBahamis is the one soul in the Rambam Shita that encompasses all three souls, Nefesh HaSichlis, Nefesh HaBahamis, Nefesh HaTzimachas. And then the Pasuk continues, Vayipach Ba'apov Nishmas Chayim, Man Nafach Mitaychin Nafach Mitaychin Yusim Apnimi Yusoy, Hashem Blowing, which, which now is now referring to the second unique extraterrestrial so, beyond the human condition, beyond the human experience of divine consciousness in the truth. Yeah. Why can't we say that the Nefesh Alekis and the Nefesh Bahamas are also one soul? Just as the Rambam says that the three souls of the Heaven Ezra are one soul. Ultimately, they just have various functions. So why can't we go a step further? And say that the Nefesh Alekis is also part of that one soul. The answer is a very good, very good question. Excellent question. The answer is as follows. As Chassidus explains, ultimately the three souls that Rambam is addressing in their quintessential reality, they're identical. They're all a product of creation. They're all, as I said before, they ultimately all come from Hashem's Dibur from Hashem's external energy versus Hashem's pnimis, Hashem's machshava. And as in that itself, it's Hashem's dibur creating something, a substance, so to speak. It's not the divine reality. It's not God. It's Hashem creating a world. 
In that world are various parameters, there are various dimensions. There is the intellectual dimension, there is the vegetative dimension, there is the instinct and so on, and there's lusts, cravings and impulses. But ultimately this is a created universe and in that itself all of them have the common denominator that Hashem has concealed within them. But they're all a product of creation, so therefore the difference between them is a limited one. In those differences itself, one is superior to the other one. So the Rambam believes that ultimately we can all put them into one soul, place them into one soul. But the schism that divides the Nefesh al-Kis from the Nefesh al-Bahamas, the natural schism prior to man's work and development, because as a result of man's work and development, we will come to see the Nefesh al-Bahamas can become a partner to the divine soul. As we will discuss later in Tanya, but the schism that separates essentially the Nefesh al-Kis from the Nefesh al-Bahamas is an absolute one. This is godliness and this is worldliness. This is heaven and this is earth. This is infinity and this is finite. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Chazal tell us you're asking that Chazal tell us that the Yitzhahara enters into the human being at the age of 13. Do you want to know if the Nefesh Alakis also enters into our bodies at the age of 13? Very good. Let me explain your question for a moment. Inca, you say no, huh? Okay, one moment. In Kehelis and Perek Dalit, the Chachim Mikaladam Shleim Amalek says, it's better to have a, uh, what's a miskin, a, uh, what's a miskin? Huh? Not ksil, miskin. I think miskin is a weak, a weak. It's better to have a weak child who is wise than a melech zakin uksil than an old king who is fool who is a fool so our chazal interpret this passage as referring to the yetzatev the yetzahar the yetzatev is referring to a, is a child who is weak but who is wise and the yetzahara might be a king and it's old but it's foolish and Rashi explains in the name of the medrash during Kehelis why is the yetzatev called a child why is the yetzahara called an old a senior citizen because the Yitzhah comes into the human being at the age of Bar Mitzvah, the age of 13. The Yitzhah by that time is already an old man. The Yitzhah comes into the human being the moment he's born. So therefore, by the time the Yitzhah, the Yitzhah is just beginning to grow up, the Yitzhah has already a lot of experience with life. So you're asking if the Nefesh Shalikis also comes in at the age of 13. The Tzamech Tzedek, again, in his writings on Tanya, the Tzamech Tzedek, by the way, was the grandson of the Alter Rebbe, as I mentioned. He was the third Rebbe of Chabad. After the passing of the Alter Rebbe's son, Rebbe Dov Ber, the middle Rebbe, the Tzamech Tzedek, Rebbe Menachem Mendel Schneerson, succeeded him in the leadership of the Chabad movement. He's the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. He indeed grew up in the home of his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, because his mother, Rebbe Tzendvera Leia, the daughter of the Alter Rebbe, passed away at a very young age. When he was still a young child, he was, the, he was two years old, and the Alter Rebbe took him into his home. And he was educated at the feet of the Alter Rebbe. So there was a very powerful uh, connection between the two, between the Alter Rebbe and Samach Tzedek. In his writings on the Tanya, again in Kitsurim Varus Tanya, he raises this issue, he raises this question. So in the beginning, he suggests that perhaps the Yetzir Toiv is not identical with the Nefesh 
Perhaps the Nefesh Elokis comes in immediately, and the Yitzhahara only at the, at the age of 13. But then he explains that it's not necessarily so. Because what Chazal are talking about, perhaps, is about the revelation of the Nefesh Elokis and the human identity. That begins at the age of 13. But not concerning the essential existence of the Nefesh Elokis and the Yitzhahara and the human being. There is... After everything said and done, there is still a difference between the Yitzhateva and the Nefesh Elokis, as I mentioned in earlier classes, and we will still discuss this. But, the, but generally speaking, they are very much connected with each other, and the Tzemach Tzedek says that it's possible they both come in immediately. The Jew is born with a Yitzhateva, the Jew is born with a Nefesh Elokis. What we mean when we talk about the age of 13 is only about the Hizgalos, the revelation of it, which means as follows. The natural identity, the natural identity of the human being, without any work, without any toil, is the identity of the Nefesh Bahamas. Why? What does a person feel? What does a child feel instinctively? Does he feel himself? Immediately. A child immediately feels himself, he feels his needs, he feels a quest for per- preservation, for gratification, for endurance and so forth, and he gravitates towards these needs. So when the person grows up, what is the consciousness that pervades his identity? Without any work and toil, it's the consciousness of the Nefesh Bahamas. Does the human being immediately senses in his identity the quest to the sublime, to the celestial, to the divine reality, to transcendence? No. So the human being has an Ephesholikist, but that can become his identity only through toil, only through contemplation, only through the cognitive process, and that begins primarily at the age of 13. So this means that a person has the nefesh, the Jew has an Ephesholikist immediately when he's born. A Jew has a divine soul in him. And furthermore, the divine soul can impact his life. A lot of be the behavioral patterns of a child, according to Chassidus, are a reflection of his divine soul. I once heard from the Rebbe, a fascinating idea. He says, you know, when you give a child a piece of food, what does he do with it? Give him a piece of bread, what does he do? He immediately destroys it. Immediately, from one piece of bread, it's converted into myriads and myriads of crumbs that find themselves in a few moments in every single corner of the home. So naturally, we say, listen, an adult is a mature, sophisticated, developed person, so he's normal, he doesn't do such a thing. A child... Immature, irresponsible. The Rebbe said that the real reason, the real subconscious reason for a child behaving that way is, because here we have an expression of the divine soul. The divine soul, what's the difference between the animal soul and the divine soul? The animal soul is egotistical. When you give me a piece of bread, for who is it? It's for me. The animal soul instinctively knows that not everything is for me. What I receive, I also must transmit and give to another human being. I cannot put it all into myself. It must be dispersed for the rest of the world. The child has a very powerful connection with the Nefesh Elokis because his Nefesh Bahamas was not developed so intensely and it didn't pervade his entire consciousness. So he's not conscious of this. Then the divine soul doesn't experience itself with, he doesn't experience it in a systemized manner and fashion. But it's there and it releases its powers and it impacts the child's behavior. But in a revealed way to build a personality based on the divine soul, this begins only when the human being is 13 years old. I'll conclude with a beautiful klayakar. The klayakar on this pasuk, 
basically articulates this idea in different terms. You see, the Mepharshim on this Pasuk have a major problem with it. What does Vayiyah Adam L'Nafesh mean? Man became a living creature. All animals are living creatures. This is not something about man. Vayipach Ba'apov Nishmas Chayim is trying to denote the unique aspect of man. But Nefesh Chayim is a term used earlier about all the animals, about all the mammals, about fowl, about birds, about everything. Domesticated animals, undomesticated animals, they're all part of living, they're all living creatures. So earlier we mentioned the Ramban's interpretation. Rashi also asks the question. Rashi says that nefesh chayev, adam nefesh chayev, although all animals are a nefesh chayev, but the nefesh chayev of a person is more than all other nefesh chayevs. Because a human being has intellect and he has the power of speech. Day of a dibur. The Klayakar explains it as follows. He says that there is a major powerful difference between the human race and the animal kingdom. In the animal kingdom, the day an animal is born, it reaches its perfection. It reaches its peak. Not necessarily all of its strength, all of its biological peak, but as far as a personality is concerned, it has everything. It cannot grow in the psychological, in, in the psychological process. In the human being, it's totally different. Although we are born and we are created, as he puts it, with a nefesh hamaskelas hanitzchi, an eternal intellectual soul, which is a chelikalikami mal, although it's vayipach ba'apav, which nefiha shows the great quality of this soul, nevertheless the pasuk continues adam chaya. A person remains like an animal because the power of his soul, of the human soul, remains concealed. It remains in potentiality. It's not actualized. And if the human being doesn't go and muster, that's what he says. If he doesn't muster his strength, if he doesn't assemble all his power and go fight the battle of God, he will remain as an animal. He will remain in the form and in the character of a behemoth. Of a behemoth. The Klayakar says, the Pasuk is trying to tell us, but the human being shouldn't think that without work, without toil, he will reach his moral, spiritual, and psychological perfection. It all depends on his toil, on his work. It always, he always has the ability, as the Klayakar puts it so eloquently, to exchange teva, with seichel and seichel with tava. You can always exchange the natural impulsive instincts with a deeper dimension of life, with a seichel dika dimension. And conversely, unfortunately, he can also take the seichel dika dimension and exchange it and allow only the tava to subdue him and to conquer his life. So this is similar to the idea we mentioned earlier that the Jew has a nefeshalikis essentially. He's born with a nefeshalikis. We talk about the Yetzir Toiv coming at the age of 13 in the sense that only at the age of 13 can he begin tapping into it and allowing it to pervade his consciousness in a very conscious fashion and manner. Have a good day and a wonderful week. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.